Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Yes, the Grand Slam portion of the year is over, but there's still so much fun tennis ahead of us. Obviously, the big news this week, Laver Cup, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll be talking about that all week long on the Mini Break Podcast. But still... There's a whole n- another portion of the season. We have the Asia Swing. We have on the ATP level. We have a bunch of challengers throughout the you know throughout the globe really. And at the end of you know October, November, we'll have the Australian Open Wild Card on the USTA side. So those are going to be some fun things to monitor. What we're going to be doing today, we're going to be talking about the players we will be watching most closely down the home stretch. So many players obviously playing now. However, depending on where you are, if you're a Roger Federer, a Rafa, a Novak, we're probably not going to see much of you at this point. Still a lot of interesting cases to, to monitor as we head into 2020, approach the next Grand Slam. But joining me to do all of that today, we'll start as always with my doubles partner, partner in crime, and a man who will claim he did more to pick these players than he did. Maxwell LeBauer-Rothman, fresh off the rough intro. Maxie, how you doing? I mean, first of all... I'm feeling I- combative today. Yeah, you're a d- I, I did choose a third of these players, but uh, it's, it, people know by now it's just a classic Gruskin thing to just try and pick at people because just there's that's fine. We'll 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 let you have it. If I, but Jamie, what the hell, if bro? If I get you I th- uncomfortable, I thought, we were, I thought we were gonna we were gonna do that together. I was I was waiting for you. Nah, you pointed to yourself, homie. That was all you. No, you I were like, like <laughs> I saw this. I was I was like, you know, we're gonna let you have it, man. This was like a come on, like a, a together. No, I thought uh, this was me, 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 me. So yeah, you're good. Okay. Well, and honest to God, we because this video, the voice, by the way, you hear our cracked rackets do it all. Former Denison men's tennis superstar, host of the Wednesday Mini Break podcast episode, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how you doing today? Appreciate the official intro, Gruskin. That's very nice. Interrupting a lovely conversation between me and Rothman, but yeah, it's whatever. Yeah. I, f- I think I'm going to add Jill Simone Doppelganger to your list on the intro, I mean, especially as we do the video component more and more. That is my day job, so I guess it works. <laughs> Glad to hear it. And, you know, as we mentioned right there, we are on video. It's a new thing our super producer, Daniel Westoff, is all about, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. So for those interested in seeing our smiling faces, check out the video. You'll get to see that introduction happen live. Watch everyone's confusion as it goes down. Honestly, this will also come out in podcast form, and hopefully for you podcast listeners, we'll redo the intro by that point. Record something fresh for you. But with that in mind, as I mentioned, the things we're going to be talking about today the ATP players, the three of us, will be watching most closely as we head down the home stretch. I was kidding. I, all of us submitted five names. We whittled it down to ten because we don't want this to be a two-hour YouTube video. God knows West stuff, ugh, the amount of technical. We wouldn't want to put him through that. But before we name our players, I want to ask you guys, as you are coming up with the names, uh, Jamie, in particular, what, what was the criteria you were thinking of? Was it, you know, what players did you circle? 
I mean, honestly, going into it, it's just when you say to watch, there were so many different things that, that came to mind, right? You think youngsters, but we talk about it, them all the time. We love talking about the next-gen people. So you think about maybe recent results that were interesting. So you start looking back, like, okay, who, who was intriguing out of the U.S. Open? Ultimately, what I landed on and what you'll see uh, from the guys I'm going to talk most about, sort of the coming back, a little bit more veteran all three of my guys actually former number three in the world so sort of the either coming back from injury or something else can they get back to that former glory so that that was kind of my criteria going in Rothman same question to you was it uh, you know Federer Nadal Djokovic as we mentioned those are the superstars but at this portion of the year when you're not playing for Grand Slams it's less and less likely that you're going to see them with that in mind what were you looking for as you came up with this list well, yeah, I mean, to be honest, when uh, similar to Jamie, when you said that, I was just thinking, okay, if I had to pick, like, top of my head, the first five people that come to mind, uh, you know, who am I excited to watch these next couple of weeks, whether it's the fact that they're young and they've been playing well, or, you know, they've, similar to Jamie, they, you know, have had, had some injuries and they're coming back, um, you know, how are they at this time last year? That was something that I looked at, too, especially as I was, I was doing some research for this, you know, are they going to have to defend a lot of points? Were they successful at this point last year? And um, you know that has some sort of indication as to how they do with their body and their physicality late in the season. So I uh, did a little bit of that. You'll see with my four players, uh, there's you know a couple young guys, and we got one. Um, actually, they're all young, but one who's you know kind of returning. So we'll we'll get to them in a little bit. I'm glad you mentioned defending points because for a lot of players, this really is a very viable portion of their season. They need to accumulate points. You talk about the different segments. For young players or guys still fighting in the challenger circuit, it's can they get themselves in that 100 to 110 range to try and guarantee direct entry into the Australian Open. For other, uh, another segment of young guys, it may be futures to challengers. It may be, oh, you know, this draw in St. Petersburg, Russia really doesn't have that many great players. Maybe I can sneak my way into a main draw berth despite being ranked in the 120s all these players because again it's an 11th month season maybe even 11 and a half month season in tennis they're going to have ample opportunities to play because as we mentioned if you're Dominic team or Roger Federer Rafa Nadal Novak Djokovic what do you have to prove at this point you don't want to wear down especially Federer Nadal I feel like if I didn't see Nadal at all for the rest of the season it wouldn't shock me so we're not going to focus on those players we still do have some very intriguing names. A lot of people I think you listeners are going to enjoy. But with that in mind, let's get into the list. And the player I want to start with is a player that, you know, all three of us agreed this is someone to watch down the home stretch. Yoshihita Nishioka, who right now singles ranking number 58. He comes into this portion of the year 15 and 15 overall. But I think, you know, when we were talking about this beforehand, this is a guy who, at various events this year, most particularly when healthy, he showed, especially on a hard court, that he's a he's a top 50 Masters level player. You know, he gets into the Masters 1000 in Cincy. He, through qualifying, beats Thompson in three sets, beats a, a worn down, but still beats Nishikori, then beats Dimenauer to get to the quarterfinals at the Western Southern Open. Earlier in the year in Indian Wells, a similar type run for him. Uh, you look at what he's able to do there. Beats Dennis Kudla, beats RBA, beats FAA 7-6 in the third before ultimately retiring uh, to Miramir Kasmenovic in the round of 16. Uh, again, and uh, Rothman, I introduced you first, so I don't feel bad going to Jamie with the first question again. 
is for Yoshi, there's obviously the cultural component, right? It's really cool for him to get to play at home at the Asian hardcourt swing. But the key word for me, hardcourts, right? It feels like this is the surface that he's going to be best on throughout his career. So why not make your move now? No, I think that's fair. And look, the stuff that we saw out of him from Cincy, so exciting on a hardcourt, right? I mean, you're coming up against someone like a Damon Hour and you can beat him who is just incredibly established on a hard court now at this point. I mean, that's excitement in and of itself right there. Like, he was throwing us some phenomenal results. You listed off some of them. But I think the coolest part of this, too, right, culturally, like, he was able to beat Nishikori in that round of 32 match in Cincinnati. That was incredibly interesting. And so he's he's making a name for himself. It's getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, as we go into the Asian swing, I think he's absolutely somebody you got to keep your eye on. Rothman, you, you, ta- you mentioned the research you, you did. I feel like for Yoshi, because he's finally healthy, this is really the first time we're going to hopefully see him play an extended fall period of tennis. Yeah, I mean, you, you hope so, right? I mean, last year he played a lot of challengers at this time. Uh, you know, in the, in the later years, he, he played a challenger in Japan. He played a challenger in Australia, uh, two of them actually. And so, you know, first of all, it just goes to show that the fact that he's you know ranked 59 in the world at this point of the year uh, is pretty astounding that, that he's able to you know put himself in a position to be able to play the Masters you know at towards the end of the year uh, and and of course his his run at Cincy beating Ishikori being Dimenauer beating you know Thompson all all those guys uh, really shows how confident he is on the hard court and I think people really don't give him enough credit for his ground strokes I think people think you know oh, he's a grinder he's small he's gonna get to a lot of balls which he does. Uh, but his forehand whips, I mean, he whips that thing, and it, and it is, you know, a weapon on the court. So uh, on the hard court, you know, especially in, in Asia where it, where it might be a little bit hotter, uh, it might get a little more pop on it, and, and, you know, we'll see if he can take that success and carry it through the Asian swing. He just moves the ball so well. It's just so impressive. Every skill in the book, he, you know, you think he's going to go inside out with the forehand? No, he's going to go inside in. He's just going to keep you off balance. And again, a big thing we'll be circling this entire podcast points on the line. What do you have to defend? And no, he didn't play at the ATP level, but as you mentioned, Rothman, he had a ton of success at the end of last year. Wins a challenger in China at the end of September. Finals won in Australia in October. Semifinals again in October. And then semifinals again in November. Now, two or three wins at the ATP level, and he can cover that up. But still, that's two or three wins. You either got to win multiple times in one tournament, or you have to sustain, you know, no first round losses. And for a guy who's 15 and 15 on the year, that's not something he's done with consistency. We've seen these glimpses. We've seen these flashes. You can also imagine with Yoshi Nishioka, he's going to run up against a 6'6 guy who's going to hit huge serves. And even though he's a lefty, it's just tough for him. That is, he does have that disadvantage. So I'm really excited to see how he progresses on uh, or if he's able to just sustain health put together a really solid month and that's that's a lot harder to do but that's the sort of things you need to do if you know he's at 55 if he wants to break the top 50 you know no more qualifying at masters events as we head into 2020 but any any final thoughts on those guys jamie and then rothman no no honestly i think nishioka is going to be really exciting to watch like you said i think there's just so much potential, right? Like, yeah, it, it sucks. He could have a really tough matchup against some dude who's just bombing the ball. But, you know, hey, maybe that makes it even more exciting, right? Because he knows how to scramble, but then he also knows how to turn the offense on. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I just he's the reason that we put him number one is that he's had a lot of success late in this year. And uh, I think we're all excited to, to watch him play. But, Gruskin, unless you have anything, if you don't mind me taking this into our next player. Do it. Perfect. So our next guy... 
Uh, you know, realizing now, it's funny because I consider him, or I, I think of him almost as a as a next gen guy because I feel like he's risen with a lot of these next gen <laughs> players. But he's 29 years old, uh, and, I, and I'm talking about Jan Leonard Struff, uh, currently ranked 39 in the world, 29 and 21 on the year. Uh, and Struff's had a good year, and, and I want to kind of put this in perspective though. He's had a good year, but he has it. He's he's been consistent, but not. Um, nothing big. Nothing big has really happened from this year. So no, no titles. Uh, he's been to the semis of Stuttgart. He made the round of 16 at Roland Garros, which was huge for him. Uh, he makes the quarters of Barcelona, the semis of Auckland, and a round of 16 at Indian Wells. Uh, and you'll, it, I'm going to list off some of the big wins he's had this year. I mean, he's beaten Ranich, Zverev. He's beaten Chapo three times. He's beaten Tsitsipas twice, and uh, he's beaten a handful of other guys: Gofen, Kyrgios, Dimitrov, Chilich. Uh, a lot of really good wins, but he's not made it quite far enough in some of these big tournaments. And so I think that's just that one step that we're missing from him. But he's been playing some really good tennis towards the end of this year. And, you know, I, I think, again, you can expect him those consistent wins in those early rounds. We're just waiting for that one big win. And, and maybe we'll get to see it at the end of this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, look, when you look at Struff, one of the one win that I point to, at least recently, is that Sitsipas win in Cincinnati. Um, I think that, to me, was a big sort of proving point for Struff because, like you said, we had seen him. His name, it had appeared more this year than I feel like it had maybe in the past. Of course, maybe he was benefited by some of those uh, Chapo draws, which somehow he just knows how to beat the guy. Um, I feel like he played him in <laughs> so many different tournaments. But, no, I mean, seriously, Struff's got a huge game, and I think the cool thing that we saw him uh, do – this season, at least, is no matter what surface he was on, he was able to impose his game. Sure, there are going to be preferences, right? But we were able to see decently consistent results, hard clay and grass, right? And so I think that that to me is a really, really good sign. And I would say for the first time, he performed at the majors, right? That's the big thing to circle. You you look at his ranking history, he cracked the top 100 for the first time. It was in uh, August 12th, 2013. But from that point until really, well, I guess he cracked the top 50 for a hot sec in 2014. But then he kind of falls out for the next three years, hovering between that 75 to 125 range. This year at the majors, fourth round French Open, third round Wimbledon. I, you know, I, I know second round US Open, he was probably hoping for a little bit better but yeah this is a guy who you look at the live ranking or the live rankings he's 39 you look at the race uh, how many points you've accumulated on the year to this date he's 32 that's a jump up from him if you saw him seated at the 2020 Australian Open I feel like none of us would be surprised because he was that good in 2019 that he sort of deserves that for as as a result of it heading into 2020 so one thing to keep in mind you know looking back at last year and the points that he has to defend. Uh, he did make a quarterfinal at Tokyo, uh, so that's 90 points he has to defend there at a 500-level at a tournament. Uh, two good wins there. He beats Chilich and Chardy before losing the Chapo in the quarters. And then uh, Antwerp is an ATP 250, makes the quarterfinals there, uh, losing to Gasquet in a tight three sets. So he's got some points to defend leading into the Australian Open, but given his current level... I think we should, you know, expect to see him in the quarterfinals again of both of those tournaments, and maybe this is where he gets his chance late in the season to to pull out uh, a win. But I guess I'm curious, what do you what do both of you think about what is it that's kept him from winning titles? Because he had, he had one challenger win in 2018, uh, and then a couple quarterfinals. There's there's clearly some sort of maybe mental barrier for for Struff. I don't I don't know what it is. 
So if, if you don't mind, I, I, this gets me into something we're going to do later in the podcast. We like to do on these live prop videos bets. and recently fake yeah fake prop bets. Exactly. So one of my fake prop bets, you look at Jan Leonard Stroop and why I wanted to talk about him. Still no ATP doubles titles in his career. He won Or d- singles titles, I should say. He won a doubles title at the Japan Open October 2018. He won a doubles title Auckland at the start of this year, 2019. But I, I would say, you know, if the, the fake prop bet is does he win a title, you look at the ATP schedule, you're... You're telling me if he makes the decision, what, the week after Shanghai, let's say he plays in Antwerp, Belgium at the European Open, right? I, I haven't looked at the entry list, but like if, if he's going to win a title down this home stretch, I would say yes is probably the favorite, minus 20, 120. Uh, no is probably still the favorite, minus 125, but you're not going to get great odds on yes, right? Because like he, if I told you he won a title down the home stretch, that wouldn't shock either of you, would it? I don't think so. Not terribly. No, I mean, it's not super surprising. I, I don't think I'm ready to go uh, to be at the point where I'm like, yeah, I think he's going to win a title, right? It's much more the other way of like, I don't think he'll win one, but eh, it's definitely possible. Look, the guy has a huge game. Draws aren't as big. It's not They're not as star-studded, right? So, I mean, he doesn't have to get through the gauntlet that he might in another time of the season, right? So, those are all things to consider, but just in terms also, of Also, indoor hardcore tournaments. I mean, yeah, it's that, indoor that hardcore does yeah absolutely that caters to what he wants to do right he wants to impose his huge game on people so that's definitely another factor that i think would also make me not as surprised once again though i'm just not confident enough right now to be like yes drew's taking home a title yeah Yeah, it's tough i mean look he hasn't proven that he can do it yet right i mean he hasn't even been in a final this year uh and he and he made a couple quarterfinals last year so he's making progress and maybe this is his chance and I, i think you're right the indoor hard courts that could be the, the little boost he needs to, to get the title. So last year, he lost to Federer and Basel at the 500. He lost to Gasquet, 6-4, in Antwerp. He loses at the Tokyo to Chapo, 6-4 in the third. Yeah, I, I think that's why I would circle him, as we've just discussed. This indoor tennis, I, I think it obviously fits a guy with his sort of game. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, another dude who does have a huge game, not quite as big in stature, Rothman. I'm going to go ahead and take us into our next one. That is the man, Stanislas Wawrinka, currently 19 in the world, 27 and 17 on the year. Again, in that zero 2019 titles club at the moment. Um, one of my three guys today who is who has a career high of number three in the world. Um, and, you know, just to keep it fresh in everybody's mind, quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. So, I think what's so interesting to me about Stan is, you know, he has this knee surgery, right? In 2017, it's of course it's set him back. Now we're kind, we're finally seeing the Stan we know. Groskin, I'll go to you first. If you had to put it in a percentage of, you know, 100% Stan to where are we right now? Well, so he's live ranking number 19. You look at him in the race for the year-end finals. He's number 15. That feels about right in terms of the level we've seen from him. You're going to get those glimpses of brilliance when he's fit when he's you know playing his strike first tennis on a slow hard court he's not 6-6 but you have to imagine indoor tennis for him that's going to be really fun to watch his you know his career statistics his results towards the end of the year two quarterfinals in Shanghai before a semifinal and a quarterfinal at the Paris Masters this is a guy who will have success at the end run simply because again 
Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. They're not going to play. There's no incentive for them. I feel like the incentive for Stan Wawrinka to play is still there, and now he was sick at the end of his U.S. Open match, right? He, uh, But I think that was more like a, like I have a cold or I have the flu or something. It wasn't an, a physical ailment, right? So he's playing a high level of tennis. There's no reason, given the opportunities he's going to have, he steals, I think Federer, or I don't know if they're playing Shanghai, but he's another one of those, sure, if he, you tell me he won the Paris Masters, I'll believe you. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Rothman, what do you think? Well, you know, it's funny you say that he's had this end-of-the-year success because last year, not the greatest end-of-the-year for him. He loses first round of Shanghai, second round of Tokyo. He does make a semis of St. Petersburg and, weirdly enough, isn't playing St. Petersburg this year, so he's going to lose those points. Granted, you know, he had that successful U.S. Open run, maybe doesn't feel the need to defend them, but St. Petersburg is loaded coming up. I mean, Medvedev is playing... Kiechenov's playing, Berrettini's playing, Chorich, Rublev. I mean, that would have been a good opportunity to get in there, get some really good matches, maybe get a, uh, even though it's a 250, get a good title under his belt with some of those good wins and get him that confidence going into the Asian swing. I don't know if we have a tangent sound effect yet, but real quick, we're going to go on our first tangent. Should Daniil Medvedev, I, I saw a tweet today about his schedule and like he's planning to play, I think it's seven events down the home stretch. That's ridiculous. Daniil Medvedev, you play seven, Shanghai. Seven events. <laughs> no, no, that's a, well. I imagine the Saint Petersburg tournament is like, hey, here's seven bazillion rubles. Like, come play our event, please. You're the U.S. Open finalist, and he's like, duh, I'm gonna do that. Sure. Um, but so, so you get the incentive there, and you want to play the Masters events because for him, he could finish the year top five, and that's a huge stepping stone. So you get that from a mental standpoint. Make make that moolah, all of these different things. I think he's already qualified. For it. Yeah, he has, is yes. one of the four people to have qualified for the year-end final, so that urgency isn't there. I mean, given that half his body was tape in that U.S. Open final, wouldn't you expect him to ease back, Rothman? I mean, you'd, you'd think so, uh, but he also seems like the kind of guy that just likes to go out there and grind and just give it his all. Um, you know, I think he might learn that that's not something he can do in the long run, but he's just starting to see this you know, very real success. And I think he probably wants to keep the, the train rolling and just let, let those forehands fly. Just keep, keep the, the winds coming. And, um, yeah, it it might hurt him at, at the masters tournaments. He might be really freaking tired at that point. Uh, but I don't know. I I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. He's going to get a little break before the Australian open. So he'll be all right. Uh, so you might just want to keep this going. Yeah, and I'm sorry for doing this to you, Jamie. I have the list in front of me. St. Petersburg, Beijing, Shanghai, Moscow, duh, uh, Vienna, Paris, and then year-end finals. So that would be seven. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. But here's the thing, too. He's just in the habit of playing so many matches, right? That's sure. the thing. He's just used to it. Like, for him, yeah, sure, maybe the body's hurting a little bit. Maybe he's getting a little bit of rest right now. And then he's like, okay, this is what I do, right? I mean, the dude was leading the tour for winning <laughs> matches. So he's like, well, that's that's what I do, right? I'm going to go out here. And it's funny, too. I was about to talk about Medvedev in general because it's funny when <laughs> wrapping into Stan, all this will be my last comment on Stan and, and the whole Vavrinka train. It's funny. The last tour, three tour losses that Vavrinka's had, Medvedev, Rublev, and Hachinov. So is it the, the next the, gen the that's hurting him? Is it the Russians that are getting to him? You know, what are we <laughs> – what's happening? Last thing we want to mention on him or that I that I thought was interesting, 50 and 17 on the year, right? That's 67 matches. That's nuts. That's 67 matches. He has seven tournaments left, right? Let's just say – let's say average plays three matches a tournament. I, I think that's a 
fair two and a half, three matches a, a, a tournament. That's another 20 matches. He will have played 87 matches this year. <laughs> that is absurd. It's Djokovician. And that brings me to my, what I want, my last point on Medvedev as well. And sorry, Jamie, of course you want to talk about Varenka. And I'm like, no, under no circumstances will I talk anyone over 30. Um, but it's just the guy you, you worry about comparison-wise is Dominic Team, right? We saw him. He realized early on, I'm really, I almost swore, didn't want to give West off more problem. I'm really freaking good at clay. And so I'm going to play as many clay court tournaments as possible. Well, I think Medvedev has established, I'm really freaking good on hard courts. And so, you know, I, I but the, the thing is, I'm worried, don't, don't, there's no need for him to get overwhelmed. Dude, and, and the hard court season is so long. I mean, there's just so much hard They're court. both. And like your knees, it's like my knees hurt and I'm not a pro. Daniel Medvedev is going to end up well, with no cartilage. You're He'll have also non-shape. Your, your co-workers think you're a pro. I am. So. <laughs> That's a story for another. We'll save that for the changeover Sorry. chat. But yes, so all of that to be said, you know, I worry about it because Dominic team has such a good one-hander. So does Stan Wawrinka. And that's why I'm really looking forward to watching him down the home stretch. Right, Jamie? That's nice. how we bring it back? Wow, good okay. Little, just anyone who, anyone who has a one-hander, like, oh, okay, now you can talk about Wawrinka again. No. <laughs> I mean, it really, that's my a, last that's thing a I was going to... shot right there. Yeah, that's... No, that just, that's just <laughs> insulting. Um, no, I mean, really, the, the, the interesting part about Wawrinka there, right? Like, his last three losses on tour, Medvedev, next-gen, Rublev, next-gen, Hatchinov, next-gen, also all Russian. So, I mean, I guess my biggest question, and we'll end on this, Rothman, this, this is me to you here, cutting Gruskin out. Vavrinka's losing to these next-gen guys. Is there <laughs> anything more, like, substantive than just that being symbolic of just losing to the younger guys, or is that an actual issue as he's getting older? I don't know. I mean, I think it's not something that we'd have to worry about too much. I mean, he's also – look. so he lost a what? He lost a Kachanov when? That was – I feel like, okay, so I feel like these were, as he was getting back into the swing of things, yes, did just lose to Medvedev, but Medvedev's been on a tear. Uh, but yeah, his, and, uh, his, his Rublev loss was in Cincy. I don't know. I, I don't I don't think this is something to, to worry about. Uh, he's slowly getting back into the, th- into the thick of things, and the U.S. Open is, you know, kind of the perfect example of, of where he's at. He's, he's finally figured it out, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about the Russians. Here's a segue for you guys. Speaking of thick of things, another prop bet. I'll just work mine in now. Two thick guys more likely to win a title down the home stretch: Stanislas or Struff, man. Any title uh, or like big time title? ATP title, not a big time. Just any title before the 2019 season ends. Probably Vavrinka. Yeah, I mean, you got to see his his form in the U.S. Open, Vavrinka, but dude. Struff has not made it to a final. <laughs> like, how are we going <laughs> yeah, to say true. that he's, yeah. I, yeah, that's, I have no confidence I just in that. I just wanted to know. Shape. I was just feeling your temperatures. But if you're setting the odds there, you gotta. it's got to be like Stan minus 250, Struff plus like 320 maybe. No way. Yeah. That's not high enough to bet on Struff. You probably need to make it 5-1. to one. Um, but that's just – look, we'll parlay all of these fake props at the end. You want to talk about a guy who has won a bunch of titles, Rothman. I know your next player has been on a tear as of late. That is that is the case. Uh, and we're talking about 22-year-old TP Tommy Paul. Uh, just broke the top 100 for the first time in his career. You like that, TP Tommy Paul? Yeah, I did want to laugh. That was funny. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, so this is a guy that played a lot of challengers both last year and this year. Um, he actually last year only played four ATP events total, uh, one of which was the Australian Open. So, you know, he's clearly made huge strides this year, just like Nishioka has. Uh, and so, you know, this is a guy that I think a lot of people have been watching. He's just got the pure athleticism. He's just so fast around the court. He whips that forehand. Uh, and he's he just plays a smart game. And so I think he's a kind of guy that you look to, to to have some more success. Maybe not, you know, making quarterfinals, semifinals, but uh, winning those first couple rounds of these big tournaments. And uh, with that new ranking in, in the top 100, it gives him a lot more access to the big ATP events. Uh, like you said, good success recently. He, he won the challenger in New Haven, beating Marcos. Uh, and, you know, besides that, has just, you know, he's, he's played well. Hasn't had any big wins this year uh but you, you got to look at his success you know the tallahassee challenger final earlier in the year uh and he wins sarasota at the very beginning of the year so he's had some some really good runs at the challenger level what do you both think uh also start with you jamie because we don't like ruskin at the moment um <laughs> what what do you think tp needs to do to take that challenger level success to the atp side if I knew that, Jamie, I would be you're out just there. here for relationship counseling. Okay, no. I mean, look, if I knew that, if I knew that question, I'd be a pro, right? Um, yeah, if I knew what, the answer but, to that question. <laughs> but what do you what do you what do you need to see from him a little bit more? I mean, I don't know. So I guess there's two conversations here. One is I think you're getting at more the strategy in game piece. To me, though, the the, the huge thing that's gonna I think propel him is just like you said, getting one of those big wins. And it's not like he has not been close, right? Yeah. He played a great match in Canada against Fonini. Like, we saw that. He had a pretty good match against Tsitsipas, honestly, when he was playing him at the City Open. So, like, and he beat Kudla in that one, but that's not really the, the type of big win I'm looking for. I'm talking about if he were able to pull off one of those Foninis or Tsitsipas. Like, he's right there in a lot of those matches. I just think that overall for his confidence – that's something that's going to get him over that hump. And then we'll start seeing knowing his name that, more and more and more. Knowing that he can beat one of those yeah, top guys. I mean, the, absolutely. The, the Dominic team French Open match. I mean, oh, that, that I was know. one where you're like, damn, you're, he's there. He's there. He has the potential. Yeah, and that's another example of one that would have been huge, not only just because of the stage, but it's team on clay, right? So, right. yeah, things like that. Those are the sort of things that will help you know, move him to that next next stepping stone, so to speak. And Gruskin, what you know, I'd like you to answer that question, but also just what do you expect from TP for the, the last few months of the season? I think the first thing we have to see from him, he has a huge choice to make. This this title he just won, where was it? Um, I'm, New I'm Haven. blanking New out, Haven. but he just won the yeah New Haven Challenger title. Propels him into the top 100 for his first time in his career. And again, you look at the schedule down the home stretch. You have a week of three 250s. Tommy doesn't have the ranking probably to get in directly to an ATP 500, but maybe he could play qualifying with that ranking. So he has a choice: Do I go to Europe and try and do that, or do I stay and play the indoor challenge? Challengers, do I go to Charlottesville where I won in 2018? I made the final in 2015. Do I go back to Champaign, back to Knoxville, where, as Rothman mentioned earlier, I had I had success in me taking the role of Tommy Paul. Tommy had success uh, at the end of last year. Uh, and then because the wild card for the Australian Open is not a factor, he's getting in, and that is a huge breakthrough. So for him, you have to say with the health struggles he's had, all of the coming back, just the level he's displayed when, when on court this year, this was a net positive year. 2019 was the year Tommy proved to himself, okay, I can advance beyond the challengers because when I play at that level, I have now had continuous success, and his ranking and the opportunities he's now going to have will reflect that. But 
you have to wonder if he's healthy, playing well, why not just stay at home, stay in America, win more matches. You're not going to need the wild card, but and you're playing a lot of familiar faces, but still, it's a lot of good indoor hardcore matches where you know you have success, so why not build on that success even further? Maybe put yourself in a position where you're top 75, you know, God willing, top 60 by the end of the year. And then you could really have some fun. You can play Sydney. You can play Brisbane at the start of next year. You don't have to play the Playford Challengers. And all of these things. It, so that's the real thing is what does he want to do schedule-wise? Or does he just shut it down? He's like, I, I don't want to play with my health. I'm good where I am. Let me get a very, very good offseason in and be ready to rock and capitalize on this top 100 because he doesn't have that many points to defend next year. So that's a, a really big point, just the injury side of things, making sure that he stays healthy as he has struggled with that in the past I I think that's a a huge reason why he should go to Europe should go and try and play the the Asia swing a little bit he's had the the success on the challenger level we've seen a lot of guys you know do that say great I did it now let's try and take that on to the ATP level and I think that's what he should be trying to do carry some of that momentum some of that you know just the the confidence that he's got uh and move over to to the higher levels and I think he'll be fine and if he can get a a win or two at least he's not pushing his body too much um, you know, I, I think it'd be really smart for him. I do have a prop bet for him. Well, can I give the quick counterpoint to that? Because again, he's 22 and seven. We talked about how many matches Medvedev has on his body right now. Tommy Paul may have played, you know, 30 matches, but it's over the course of maybe eight weeks, right? It, it's not anything, or not eight weeks because he has seven losses. I think he has two titles this year. So nine weeks, maybe. You know, nine weeks of tennis is really not that much. And so you worry if I go to Asia, lose qualifying, this is a waste of a trip. I could get more matches under my belt and I'm confident. So it's really, it's going to be an interesting choice to see what he does because you can really see the positives of both. Yeah, I think he's got it. I don't know. I'm I'm more in Rothman's camp on this one. I think that is what he should do. He should be going over to Europe. Like, he's he's played these tournaments here. Sure, he's comfortable, but what's the point of just staying in your comfort zone the whole time if you're trying to ascend in the rankings? And, you know, that confidence, he's already established, right? The confidence he gains from that isn't really going to be adding much except for proving again that he can do it, right? It's more about proving that he can do it at a different level. And so I feel like that's why he's kind of got to make that jump. So... The, the prop that I was going to save uh, for the end, which I'm now not going to, um, by the end of the year, does he break the top 75? And then the second prop bet was by the end of next year, does he break the top 50? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I'm just trying to think of the I mean, timetable on that. Yeah, definitely can. I'm trying to think of the timetable, which well, again, he has he has no points to defend at the start that's of next year because right. he was so injured. But that's why, to me, play the challengers now. Get yourself a huge buffer of points that you don't so that you know throughout the year, if you struggle your first two months on the ATP level, that's fine because I've got four challengers titles to sit on throughout the rest of the year, and it just behooves of him to have that in the background. But to your bet, if he goes to Asia, ooh, 
I think if he plays the challengers, for sure top 75, and I would say yes to top 50 at the end of next year. If he goes to Asia and doesn't win any matches, then no to top 75 at the end of this year, but still yes to top 50 at the end of next year. I mean, dude, one win in one of these ATP 250, ATP 500 level tournaments. But he's got to get in. Yeah. Jamie, what do you think? I don't know. I think I'm just trying to think of the timing of it all. I would say that even though it's, it's it's a steeper climb to get up to 50, he has so much more time to do so. And so I feel like that's where I would think the safer bet is. But I mean, honestly, here's my thing. I hope I, I have a hope, hot take stewing for oh, you guys. Uh, oh boy, I hope he goes and goes no, go for the, first. He goes breaks for the, Asian. the top 20. <laughs> By the end of this year, it's possible. No, I mean, I, I do hope that he goes and goes overseas and gets out of his comfort zone. And it's very doable for him to get top 75 if he does that. But like you said, you got to get into those draws and, you know, work your way through qualifying and get a couple wins there. So that's that's absolutely not a given. But what do you got, Gross uh, You're just my, you're just stewing over there. screaming hot take. It's screaming hot. Like, this is top of the mind scream. So it's um, just going to be, like, is, bad or what? Yeah, you're not going to like it. If I were to rank... The four young Americans right now, on in my opinion, best at tennis at this moment, I would say it goes Opelka, TP, Fritz, Tiafo, And that is the hottest of takes. I know. I know. But just – I just tr- – I watched a lot of Tommy Paul at the challenger level. And the challenger level is – you know, if Francis Tiafo dropped down to the challenger level, Taylor Fritz dropped down to the challenger level, I would probably be out of my mind. But he's just so solid, and he has so many weapons, and he's so athletic, and it's just like all the skills, all the other people do a bunch of, like, one, you know, Opelka, monster power. Fritz, monster power from both the ground and the serve. Tiafo just so, di- so attacks you in so many different ways. Tommy does little bits and pieces of all of it, and that's why if healthy, like, the hot take would be he ends 2020 as the highest-ranked young American, 23 and under. I mean— Jeez, I think putting Tiafa, putting Tiafa last isn't the worst thing. Like I, I don't think that's that's that. Putting <laughs> putting TP in front of Fritz after this year, Fritz is just absurd. No. Like, come on, you're that you're. It's a bit insulting to Fritz. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I I know this is like I said the hot take is because I've watched a lot of TP on the Challenger circuit over the past two weeks and it's just fresh on my mind. But he just looks so good. That's why top fifty end at the end of next year. If he's healthy the entire year, I would be more surprised if he didn't than if he did. TP always looks good. He has some of the best on court swag of anyone <laughs> he's out there. So handsome. Well, I mean, yeah, he just he, he just is. looks good out there. Uh, Rothman, you mind if I steal and uh, move on to another very good looking guy on the tour? Yeah, I think I think I think he was ranked number one by by the by the other players. So yeah, go. For yeah, it. he was. A lot of people mentioned this name. It is undoubtedly Grigor Dimitrov, the Bulgarian, a very handsome man indeed. Currently, we're looking at number twenty-five in the world. Had a really not great year, especially by his standards. I mean, let's be honest. Until this U.S. Open run, pretty much the only thing you could really say about Dimitrov this year was like, it's not great. You know, he goes sixteen and sixteen total, zero titles. Another guy whose career high is number three. Of course, we just saw him have this run to the semis of the U.S. Open. Shoulder injury is really what's really been sort of highlighting this comeback. Um, We saw it a lot earlier in the year. Could not serve hardly at all, right? I mean, he was just double faulting left and right. Couldn't really seem to figure it out in matches. I mean, I think that part is getting better. Grossian, I'll start with you because I'm feeling nice. At least with his run in the U.S. (laughs) Open, what was the most promising thing that you saw out of Grigor Dimitrov? The sustained 
level of play. He didn't just do it over one. And the draw broke beautifully. We talked about it all U.S. Open long. This was, a, you know, the dream scenario for Grigor. Injured Chorich as your seed, and then all of your other seeds lose, and everything fell into place beautifully. But he took advantage of it. And his level of play, even though he lost that semifinal against Medvedev, I thought he played really well. I thought against Federer, his sustained level of play, even though he loses the first set and then goes down two sets to one, for him to realize, I am the 29-year-old. I'm the one in my physical prime. Make that the factor in this match. That, it, that For him to just see that despite all of the struggles he's had, That's what's most inspiring to me is that mentally it clicked because everyone knows Grigor's skills. It's just that so often he looks aimless out there. He's lost. And I think, again, we've seen Grigor have success at the end of the year before. We've seen what he's capable of. He won a year. It's crazy to say this, but he won the 2017 year-end finals, right? He won or made quarterfinals. Yeah, made the quarterfinals of Shanghai that year. Then he made the third round at the Paris Masters, and then he won the ATP Tour Finals down the home stretch. Now, before that run, he lost second round of the U.S. Open that year. So, like, again, the ups and downs from Gregor is what we've all expected. But it just felt so nice to see him succeed, and you hope that this is the sort of mental breakthrough that will allow him to stabilize. I think, what is he right now? Live rankings, 25. he's number 12. Yeah, 25. You look at him in the year-end race. It's crazy that he's 25 given how bad he's. But what's his record at? 16 and 16? Similar. It's just, you know, I guess I just hope, again, no first-round losses. Get me one match at every event you play at least. I mean, look, he's had seven first-round losses this year. Last year at the end, you know, he he makes only a second round of Beijing. He makes he loses first round of Vienna and loses third round after a bye at the Paris Masters, so not a great end to his 2019 season. Uh, and but no points to defend. No, no points to defend. But I'm just not. Yeah, this is the, this is probably the one guy on this list that I I agreed to having on, but I'm not now after thinking about it a little more. I almost want to push back and say he's not someone that I'm necessarily. You know, I, look, I don't, I don't, I, maybe it's someone to watch because he'll be interesting to see how he does, but I'm not expecting much from him. I'm really not. I mean, he did well in the Grand Slams this year besides his first round Wimbledon loss to Mute that, you know, unfortunate for him, but otherwise, you know, not, not bad in the, in the big tournaments in Australian Open loses in the round of 16 to Tiafo. Uh, and then I think at what, at French, he loses third round to Vavrinka, you know, his third loss uh, lost to Vavrinka like nine times this year is ridiculous yeah yeah it's it's crazy and if you told me that uh Dimitrov could make a quarterfinals of the U.S. Open playing Seppi Camille Maj I'm not gonna bother with his last name and then Dimenauer I mean with a withdrawal from Chorich yeah I'd be be like yeah of course he'll make he should make the quarterfinals Uh, so I think he got a little lucky and you know if he can take that as confidence great uh, but I'm honestly not expect. I'm gonna expect it. You know, maybe a first round loss or two from him. You know, in the next few months. I mean, the reason, and and I'll I'll you know prop up the argument a little bit for why he's interesting to watch is because he's another guy who's on this comeback. And so whether or not I'm confident, which you know, I do think that we're gonna see some better tennis from him. Clearly, you're not confident in it, and that's fine. But to me, that doesn't make him any less interesting to watch because he's on this comeback, and just until the U.S. Open he would never be on an interesting players to watch, right? You're like, he's just sucking this year. He has more losses than wins. Like, this is just a bad year. Well, the counter would be, if he... 
if he kept losing, wouldn't it be like, oh man, what if it's a full meltdown? Yeah, but that could be interesting. When would you? Yeah, they're. I don't know. I feel like that would have flown <laughs> under the radar if we're only picking ten players. My point is just the sure. recency effect, right? I mean, it's right fresh in our minds. This run of the U.S. Open, a win overfed in a major. That in and of itself, especially when you're coming off of an injury and an awful, awful year. I don't know. That's enough cause for me to make it at least interesting to see what he does in um, this sort of next swing. Really quickly before we move on, I do want to mention another guy. All, this is a theme across my people. A lot of recent-ish next-gen losses we've seen in 2019. Medvedev, of course, because he's beating everybody um, at the U.S. Open. Uh, you already, Rothman, you already mentioned Mute, the Frenchman at Wimbledon. He loses to FAA at Queens, loses to Fritz in Madrid, uh, Jari in Barcelona. I mean, this is a guy who, look, it's, I guess it's not that impressive to say you've beaten Dimitrov the way he was playing at some points. Um, but I don't know. I guess moving forward, Rothman, I'm not even going to bother asking you because you have no confidence in him. Gruskin, do you expect big things before 2020 from Dimitrov or no? What is big thing? I mean, making I, like making a deep run in a serious could, tournament. Put it that way. I hope so. I, I I don't know because again, we haven't seen him play two times in a row in so long. Uh, we haven't seen him play two good tournaments in a row in over twelve months. Like we just really haven't. When you go fifteen and fifteen or sixteen and sixteen, whatever it is, over the stretch of the year, seven first round losses. It's indicative of the sort of six, uh, the lack of success we've had, and so it it's tough. But uh, again, you could throw or, or Dimitrov right up there with Wawrinka and Struff, man. Like I really believe all of them could win titles because they've all shown that level recently, and. I really don't think the top guys are going to be going to the 250 event in, in you know, wherever, in uh, Antwerp or wherever it is that year. And so, or in Sweden or in, oh, I guess, Moscow. Everyone's going to Moscow. But it's just, it, it sure, I, I yes, to me, a win is secure your place in the top 20. End the year top 20. That's only five ranking spots away. It's very obtainable. You don't have any points to defend. Do it. That's fair. That's absolutely fair, especially and something that should be doable for a dude who's been number three in the world. You know, we're talking about getting back to top 20, still not even 30. Come on. Physically, you're fine. The shoulder's back. He's good. Gruskin, you leading us into our next one? I know who you want to talk about. Uh, I know you want to talk about. Well, him. you know, <laughs> we've talked a lot of names and uh, a lot of them listeners of this podcast should be very well aware of. And you guys, if you listen to us before, you know. Sometimes they get mad. Uh, Jamie and Max think my ideas are a little out there. You heard my Tiafo take, but this is a guy I have circled because, as we mentioned at the onset, what are you looking for down the home stretch? You're looking for a a young player to make a breakthrough. I think that's on the top of all of our minds, and so and and then be a guy who who's making a rankings jump, as we mentioned, to qualify for the Australian Open, putting himself in a position to do very well at the start of next year. Well, the young Spaniard Alejandro Davidovich Fokina has put himself in a position to do just that. And as we started a recording, he was playing his final at the challenger level against young the fellow young Spaniard Jaume Munar. He ends up beating him today to get a challenger title, his first ever of his career, which is obviously a breakthrough moment. You look at him and the live rankings now, this will raise him up to number 108. You look at him right now in the race at the year, number 97 on the year. So in terms of 
of points accumulated this season, he has been a top 100 player. And I don't think anyone at the start of the year would have said that about the young Spaniard, who obviously has had the majority of his success on clay. And you look at the past two weeks, he makes the final in Geneva challenger on clay. He was up against Lorenzo Sinego 4-0 in the third set breaker before losing that match. To have that sort of experience, and I should say he made the semifinals in Mallorca the week before, but to go semifinals and lose, to make the finals up 4-0 in a third set breaker and lose, and then to win a challenger title the next week, to put yourself on the precipice of the top 100, I don't care if it's on clay. I don't care if that's what you're playing all of your matches on. That is a breakthrough. And so I guess my question to you guys, why I have him on this list, we've litigated this before, Rothman, but... Does it matter to you that all of this success for him has come on clay? Yes and no. Um, So I think there's one way to look at it, which is if he can beat someone on clay and get, you know, the just we we always talk about confidence, but it's true. It just is so important uh, to the mentality of a tennis player. If you can go out there and beat some top guys on a surface that you're comfortable with, you know, you can go on to the other surfaces and, and kind of carry that. And so I, I think that, you know, that you can look at it that way. But there's also the the side that says, you know, if you're you're consistently winning on clay, you're, you know, it's such a different style of game. You know, longer points, it's a little bit slower. And, and on this fa- on the fast hard courts, I mean, it's just – it's that's about as drastic of a difference as you can get. Uh, so if you're, you know, only finding a way to win, you know, on a, on a slower surface like the clay – Makes me makes me nervous about uh, any of the hardcore season, which is such a big part of the season. Um, so, you know, we'll see if he plays some some hardcore tournaments coming up here in the next few months. But it, it does make me a little bit nervous. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Uh, when you I, get in when you get into the surface conversation, it's always interesting, right? But this is a guy who I guess it's kind of interesting when you look. He look at his pedigree, especially on clay. Obviously, that's where he's comfortable. But we forget this is a dude who won the junior Wimbledon title, right? So, like, he can play on different surfaces. And, you know, when you look back through his 2019, yeah, we have to go a little bit further back here. And, sure, you can always bring surface into this conversation. But, man, he had some big wins, right? I mean, he beat Dan Evans, Shardy, Fritz, and Monfils, all Monfils, all in the same tournament, right? And that's back in Estoril. And so, I mean, that alone is impressive and so i don't care what surface you're really doing that on it's impressive it it is it is and and look his recent results definitely speak for itself he makes like gruskin said he made a final in in geneva he makes a semi-final in mallorca you know a few weeks ago before that uh and so we just have to hope that he can translate that onto the hard court and I like you said he wins a junior Wimbledon uh, and and the progress that he's made this year compared to last year is just I mean drastic Uh, pretty much last year I don't think he played he played one ATP event or excuse me three ATP events uh, without a win so you know being able to come into this season with a couple wins uh, makes a huge difference so we'll, we'll, we'll hope that he can you know three and seven on the year not great uh, but it's progress, and dude, he's 20 years old. You know, he's a he's a 1999er, so uh, it's you know just crazy to even think about. I think you throw the six wins he got this week, and he's 27 and 15 in total on the year. Given how many of those matches have come at the challenger level, that's so impressive. Yeah, I was talking but another fun thing. Yeah, no, I know. Tour. 
Yeah. yeah, typical you, ignoring the results that build you to an ATP result, ignoring the little guy. But you Gruskin, look at yeah, how's the your race challenger to tour been this year? <laughs> yeah, it's been a challenge. Let me tell you, the uh, I was about to throw someone under the bus, but I'm not. All of our interviews are great. I was about to make a challenger interview comparison, but I'm not going to say who the person I was going to compare the challenger circuit to interview wise. But my thought for you guys, Davidovich Fakina, you mentioned his age. Let's take a look at the race to Milan standings because we haven't done this in a while, and this is going to be something to monitor down the home He's stretch the ATP next gen finals. Sure. What? So I'm glad you said that right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna name the list and real. I'll ask you if you think they're going to play or not. Just say yes or no. The top number six one are. right now, Stefano Cici. <laughs> Stefano Cici pass. Yes or no. no. Jamie. No. Um. No. FA, FAA, no. who has never played this event, I believe. Yes or no? No. Mm, maybe. Dude, he doesn't even want to play Labor Cup. He doesn't even want to yeah. play Labor Cup. Dude, money. I promise yeah, you Milan will make sure one of these guys are here. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't want to get his behind whooped on Team World. Yeah, and I mean, I, <laughs> I get it. And I think Sitsipas is definitely no. Like, he went there, he did it. FAA is a little bit different story. I mean, FAA, granted, look, he's the second one in this race, but he is 19 as well. And so I don't know if that's even a factor at this point when he's done what he's done, but I don't think it's out of the, I don't think it's out of the question for FAA to play this one. Also, I don't think the money's a factor. He's made $1.3 million this year. I don't think he's too concerned about the money. Yeah, but you know what's – well, first of all, that's on the record. But you know what's even better than one point three? Do you remember last year when we talked about all of, like, the how much money you win for winning a single round, how much you get if you win your group? Like, do it. He's not old enough to where he's like, he can be picky I, I about Is he going to say no to money? Years old. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's, what that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like, I'm not saying – I'm not – look. Plus, he's yeah. never had the experience. It's not like he's scraping for cash. I'm just saying, like, hey. You know, you got this chance, and look what a great way and to again, prove himself, too. I don't know. 2017 winner Hyun Chung, a 2018 semifinalist at the Australian Open. 2018 winner, I believe, was Tsitsipas, right? He makes the semifinals at the Australian Open the next year. FAA, you are textbook for that sort of transition from next gen champion to semifinalist at the Australian Open. Yeah, so I don't know about that. I hope yeah. that trend. Yeah. Well, I hope the trend continues. All right, number three, Alex Dimenauer. He, I don't think, will no. play. He's had I too much success no. otherwise. No. I'd say no. Chapo, Chapo, yes or no? Didn't play last year. No. Probably not. I'm not seeing it. Tiafo, yes or no? I say yes. I think he's the first one no. you're like, he'll be there. I don't think Tiafo. Dude, he's a veteran. It'll be I his know. third appearance. That's why he's not exactly. That's yes. why he's not going to play. You don't want to be. No, that's why you do. You don't do want to be veteran. Of a next gen final. That's you want to be a first year. Counterpoint. Hasn't he done not well the first two years? So it's like maybe I can actually go and win this. No, but it's just going to make you feel worse. No, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, he either has to go in there and and whoop some ass, or he has to go, or otherwise he goes in and loses and just feels terrible about himself. Not sure if that swears, but sorry for the swear word. Um, yes, I, I'm just saying. I think we're still live. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fair. All right. Now, again, Casper Ruud. We got to do this quicker. Yes. yes or no? Yes. Kasmanovic, yes or no? Yeah. Why not? All right, fine. Umbert, yes or no? Sure. Maybe not. Mutet, yes or no? No. You're 
effing crazy. Umbert will be there. If he gets the... Why would Ugo Umbert... If Ugo Umbert turns this down, <laughs> cancel the event. Because, like, what are we doing at that point? Yeah. Um, I mean, he pretty much is the person who should be playing this, so yeah. All right. All of this was my long way of saying Alejandro Davidovich Fakina is right now number 13. And like he's in strike range, so let's say those top five guys don't play. I would like to see him in Milan. The other cool thing, Yannick Sinner, the young, I think, 17-year-old Italian, looks like he will either A, get the Italian wild card, or B, get it on his own. It's going to be nice to have an Italian there who doesn't completely suck. Like, that's gonna be like I think Liam Caruana went last yeah. year. Like, are you oh, kidding me? God. That's a tough. And no scene. offense to Liam, but it's like Liam, you are not Dennis Shapovalov. Like Yannick Sinner is a young, promising talent. Um, but I also hope Alejandro Davidovich Fokina gets the chance to play there because I think he should be spoken in the same breath as all of those other guys. But any final thoughts on that, or do you guys want to move on uh, to our next one? Let's do it. Hold on, wait. I have one final thought. Hold on. If Sinner gets in without being a wild card. Do they also get another wild card? I or like do they get another no Italian way. entry? Well, first of all, if Probably. Ugo Umbert is turning this down, like Rothman says, then sure, I'll give me another Italian wild card. I'll be, you know, I'm a quarter Italian at that point. Please just send me the wild card because, like, what are we doing at this point? Um, but yeah, I I don't know. That's a good question. Um, but a little bit of a change of the order. We're sticking with the next gen guys here, Rothman. Dennis Shapovalov, someone you circled. Make the case. All right. Well, Shapo, 33 in the singles ranking at the moment. Also a 20-year-old, as we just mentioned, you know, high up there on that next-gen list. Although, yeah, definitely not going to play. Um, but Shapo's had, you know, a up-and-down year as well, similar to – not similar to Dimitrov as, you know, it's not as shaky and not as up-and-down, but uh, has had some good wins. You know, he's beaten Chilich, he's beaten Rublev, he's beaten Tsitsipas and Tiafo. He obviously made that Miami Open semifinal. Um, so, you know, he's had a pretty good year, but, you know, afterwards, you know, in, in recent uh, – you know, in, in the recent tournaments, it's been, you know – not exactly what we're hoping for yet. U.S. Open makes that third round and loses a tight one to Monfils. Um, and, you know, had some second-round losses at both Cincy and, and Montreal. And if you want to look back at last year, you know, as far as the points, this is where you do get a little excited. He doesn't have a whole lot to defend. You know, he loses first round of Paris uh, last year. He loses first round of Basel last year. Loses second round of Stockholm. He loses first round of Shanghai. Uh, so he, the, the only points that he really does have to defend – uh, are the is the semifinal he made in Tokyo, uh, and he had a great tournament there. He beat Chung, Vavrinka, and Struff before losing to Medvedev in that semis. So definitely, he's got 180 points to defend there, and that's somewhere where you, you're going to expect to see him play. Uh, but I think he's got after after seeing him play recently, he looks hot, and and you know without a lot of the points to defend, who knows where he could go? So you know, considering last year's results. Do you guys expect him to, to make a deep run in one of these tournaments, considering you know the, the, the recent form he's been in? Yeah, I, I do. I would not be surprised to see him there at all. I, I do have some pretty good expectations for him. I know Gruskin and I had talked about this at who knows what pot it was, but I, I was kind of more in the camp that the U.S. Open was more important um, to him than just you know uh, not having a great year because look 2019 was not that great for him. This was you know maybe 2018 was more his breakout year. This was much more of the year of him being overshadowed by fellow Canadian 
FAA. You know, this year's storyline was much more about Felix. And so when you see that first round US Open matchup, I circled that and I was like, hey, this is a big moment for him, right? Um, and he absolutely stood up to the challenge. He completely owned that match, 1-1-4. One, one, and four. Um, And then he goes on to have a great match against uh, Monfi, ultimately in that third round five-setter. But yeah, Shapoval is a guy, especially when you've got him on a hard court, he can beat anybody if he's on fire, right? It's just a matter of can he get there um, and can he sustain that consistency? And so I think at least in one of these tournaments in, in the Asian swing, We'll see that. I think he can make a deep run in at least one of them, get some of those points back, maybe boost himself a little bit more, and and get some momentum rolling into 2020. I think that's fair. I I think it's, again, as you mentioned, it's not only the U.S. Open, right? It was the Winston-Salem the week before that he was able to have that sort of success, I think, make the semifinals, was it? Something like that. Yeah, he lost to her um, catch. Yep. yeah, and play the level that he did. I think it was the, he lost to her catch on the second end of a back-to-back, right? And so not only did he show the level the week before, but it translated to the next week. And you don't want to overblow uh, a new coaching relationship, but Mikhail Yuzny coming into his box, seems, there's, something seems to be working. They found early magic. And so just to get the chance to see, was it real? You know, those first two weeks, was it just, you know, the honeymoon phase where everything's working and Dennis happens to play well? Or is this a new, Den- not a new Dennis Shapovalov because he's 19 years old. He hasn't been around long enough to be new, but is this a rejuvenated Dennis Shapovalov? Is this a Dennis Shapovalov who's finally feeling comfortable on the court again. We all know about his firepower, the weapons on the forehand and the backhand side, the serve, the athletic, his ability to move, to hit on the run and create power down the line. And he has a willingness. He's not afraid to move forward. He be- he believes he can be the aggressor in every match he plays. Um, but that that mental attitude, it hasn't translated to results on the court this year. So this is a guy who, given the lack of success that he's had, that he's managed to stay, what is he right now, in the top, thir- uh, top 30-ish range? He's right around number 33 in terms of the live rankings. You look for the ATP race. He's number 34 on the year. That feels like a steal, given how just sparingly he's been playing well throughout the year. So now he's got the chance to prove it. Now he's got the chance again. Solidify yourself like Struff in that top 32. Guarantee yourself a seed at the Australian Open. Because Denis Shapovalov, when playing well, you know he doesn't want to draw a guy El Monfils before the fourth round of the Australian Open if he doesn't have to. And that that's the, the way to position yourself to do that is to get some wins at the end of the season. I, I think 100%. I, I want to bring in another... Prop bet. Uh, no, I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna save it for for the end. Um, but look, I, I think everything you guys said is right. Did you see the relief on Jamie's face there? I know. He's like, he's thank like God, the end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. I do want us to get into like our. I guess we're gonna do what two more players. Um, wh- whoever, however many more we're gonna do. Uh, I do want to move into those, and I think we said a lot about Chapo, but I just be on the lookout for this guy. He's the kind of guy that can get hot. Uh, you know. Does he have a chance at winning, you know, the one the, the Masters at the end of the Paris or Shanghai? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he comes out hot and we don't get one of these top guys who really feels like, you know, pushing all the way through a, another Masters event. We've seen it happen a lot at the end. I mean, Jack Sock won Paris. Like, that That shouldn't ever happen. So, <laughs> um, you never know. Let, keep, keep your eye out for him. Let's see if he can get hot. 
Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think we only have one player left to go. That, of course, another young player, uh, relatively young, I feel like, in terms of uh, a career. He's been around for a while, but he still is only 22 years old. Our last player we're going to talk about, Borna Chorich, Borna. who obviously is coming off of an incredibly disappointing performance uh, at the U.S. Open. Now, he was the number 12 seed, but he has been coming off, and he's been fighting injuries since Wimbledon on and off the court. Um, it's just... We haven't seen a consistent level for him, and one of the reasons I think he is one of the most interesting players to circle down this home stretch, he has a ton of points to defend, and so even if he's not healthy, I'm sure George feels an urgency to continue to play. Rothman weighing that decision. If he's healthy, does he does he keep playing? If he's not healthy, should he shut it down? What what would you be doing if you were in Borna George's situation? I mean, if he's really not healthy, you got to shut it down. You got to think long term, right? You you can't worry about those Shanghai points. You know, yes, he made a final last year there before losing to Fed, uh, but you, you can't worry about those points. You know, he had it, it sucks because he did have a pretty good season this season. You know, he makes a round of sixteen at the Australian Open. He makes a Dubai semis, a Miami and Monte Carlo quarterfinals, like. Not a bad season for him, and, and the injuries just unfortunately held him back. Um, if he's feeling healthy, though, I mean, he needs to get back in, into into a, a a momentum, right? Like, he, he needs to be able to start to feel his ground strokes, get some match play under his belt, uh, and let that carry him into the 2020 season. Because if you go into 2020 having pretty much no match play since the U.S. Open, that's, that's too long. Um so that's that's the goal for him is to feel healthy enough to do that to get his matches under his belt and uh, if he's healthy try and get as far as he can in Shanghai to defend those points so he doesn't drop in the rankings too much. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that's the right way to see it and, and to play it if you're born a Chorch. And the other thing too is like, look, Chorch is so talented. Not saying that he needs to be, like should be scrounging for points, but look, this guy has so much talent that he. I have no. I don't know, shortage of confidence that he's going to get back up there, right? And so it's not worth it really injuring yourself if he is in bad shape. You know, of course, I really don't know what kind of shape he's in right now. I think we'll see that and we'll be able to judge that as the year goes on, right? But I think if you're able to play it, you got to be playing those and try and at least, uh, I guess, defend against some of the loss of those points. And if, if you are hurt, don't play it. That's, there's no reason risking that at this point. Well, Borna Chorich, very good at tennis social media. I feel like I've seen a lot of him working out in the gyms. I'm pretty sure there's like a Borna Chorich's Buns Twitter account, which is ridiculous, but it, I'm pretty sure it exists. And so they, there's me. a lot of content of him in so. the gym. <laughs> no, please. You're the Jill Simone uh, verified account. Come on. Don't don't confuse the listeners. Why can't um, it be both? I can, yeah, do both. I, I can do both. <laughs> <laughs> that's your burner. Um, that's funny. Um yeah, oh, by the way, this random thought. Did you see the Pui Monfils uh, GoFan dancing video from Pui's uh, wedding? Oh, God. Did not. No. Did not see it. Uh, How was it? For our listeners, that's a little sneak preview of what we'll see on Twitter Tuesday this week on the mini break. Um, Yeah, it was... It was nuts. But to get back to Borna Chorich, you also have to think of it in the context of what all of his peers are doing, right? You talk about Daniil Medvedev, what he's done this season. You look at the guys like Stefano Tsitsipas, Alex Zverev, Karen Kachanov, Shapovalov, Dimonur, Kyrgios, on and on and on and on. 
a lot of those guys have had successful two weeks, and you wonder, uh, is this the point of the year where George, he's had some success throughout the year, but last year, this was where he really had his breakthrough. He was one of the few guys who was fit enough at the end of the year to give Federer a run, to make a finals of a Shanghai, of, or I may have butchered that, but to make these sort of deep runs at these Asian hardcore events. And that he's not going to have this swing when hard court's his best surface, you, you, that's a concern. I'm sure he planned this part of the year as, I'm going to defend my points. This is where I'm going to thrive again. So it's unfortunate that he's not, uh, you know, hopefully he gets that opportunity, I should say. It's unfortunate he's not coming in at his healthiest. Uh, but with that being said, any final thoughts on on uh, Borna George from you guys? Well, I guess just one question for both of you. Does he win a Masters in 2020? Uh <sighs> No. What you're really asking me is, do I think Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer are going to have the same level of success that they did at Indian Wells in Miami this year? And my answer is, yes. no, they're not. So, I mean, I, I can't do this. I get too emotional because I want the young guys to win. I mean, I'm not biased. I want them to win so badly that I'm fine to say yes. Like, I think he's shown the skills to do it, but it's tough. It's really, really hard to win a Masters. It is. Also, my thing is, if you're just making about this young guys versus those top three, is Chorich your number one young guy to win one? I think Medvedev has kind of proved that that's not the case. No, so of I course. feel like no. Yeah, I mean, Medvedev, didn't he win one? Yeah, Medvedev already yeah. won one. But do yeah, I think Chorich could put together a run like Medvedev has? Yes. It's possible. It's possible. But if I'm betting on it, and I know I'm not, Grushy, I'm not like you. I'm not just making the call so that if by some ridiculous chance it happens later, you can point to it and ignore the ridiculous <laughs> takes you've made for the rest of the year. But no, if Do I'm you know someone on, on Twitter, someone on Twitter was like, do you remember episode 66 when you said Medvedev wasn't as good as these other guys? And I was like, no. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, fair. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I only remember saying that I think he's going to be the best. And <laughs> yeah. Doug, 360 podcasts across three platforms. Yeah, don't tell me. Yeah, of course I don't remember. Like, I don't um, know. But you talked about gambling. That is the perfect transition for our final segment. It is a segment we have not done in long enough time. But if I could, Jamie Rothman, could I get a drum roll, please? It's time for this week's Changeover Chat. The Changeover Chat. Oh, that was beautiful. I get a tingle down my spine every time. All right. We said fake prop bets down the home stretch. I've given a couple of mine. Rothman's given a couple of his. Jamie, do you have any prop bets for us? I mean, what do I just have to throw some to get some together in terms of like, do I think some dude's going to make a run just to appease you? I mean, uh, no, I mean, if you're, yes. I, what, what do you want, Rothman? I was gonna say I can start us off. If, yeah, if go want, for if it. You want me to give? If you want me to give you one. Yeah, go for it. All right. Does a non-big three win the year-end London ATP event this year? Good yeah. freaking and, question. And I, I'm setting the odds at one the big three minus three hundred, and the well, field. Yeah, the answer is no, right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes. Yes. Minus three hundred. Sorry, I'm just writing this down so that I can work my parlays. Yeah, and then and then the field is like plus four twenty, purposefully four twenty. Kidding. I get I get I get the full field for four twenty. Yeah. 
Well, here's the thing. Are we? I'm. I'm really assuming Nadal's not playing. Like, I know that's a lot to think, but like, oh, wh- well, if you're Rafa, that defeats, what do that you... defeats the whole thing. It's the big three. No, that doesn't. I'm. I'm talking about the big three. So if Rafa doesn't play, if Djokovic is still injured, it comes down to a bet of do I think Roger Federer will win it? And my answer to that would be no. So I think the better bet okay. would be the field because you have that, those uh, odds. Although, though, at that point, Medvedev might be playing on crutches. So, like, I really, also, if not Medvedev, who? Those odds are assuming all three are playing. Odds change if only Federer is playing. <laughs> That's according to the Book of Rothman? It is. All right, I'll keep that in mind. Um, Jamie. What's up? Who am I taking? What do you think? Gruskin gave his Gruskin gave his half answer. <sighs> yeah, it's a, it's a nice half answer. I mean, <sighs> didn't I honestly, take the field? I took the field with with yeah. six conditions. <laughs> I didn't know there were no conditions. I'm telling you what I'm thinking. That was my thought process. Federer will okay. be the only guy of whatever. Honestly, <laughs> see, I don't know if I'm in that camp. So if I'm going big three, I think I'm resting on Nadal right now. Because he's hungry. I feel like he's going to be hungry to win one. That's one of the weird things he's never won. Why has he never won it? I don't know. But Oh, I didn't he, think about that. Good yeah, point. so it's like... Because he's, he's always freaking exhausted. I know, yeah, right. But it's like you, you figure this many years he would have won one, right? But he still hasn't. So I think that's one thing. I think your argument for the field at this point is look how Federer and Djokovic haven't been that great, at least in the last you know tournament we've seen. So like... Maybe that's where you go. I don't know. Let me and throw in. I, I've been fine in two out of three sets indoors. I mean, oh, if I'm betting this, I'm but going also. To victory. But who else is going to be in the field? Like it literally here right now are the top eight players: Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, Medvedev, Team Tsitsipas, RBA, Kanishi, Corey. So let's say one of them doesn't. Let's say the number nine guy right now, Matteo Berrettini. Number ten guy right now. Alex Virev, 11, David Goffin. It's like, I don't, if that's the field, now that I'm looking at it, I don't know how you don't pick Federer. Right. Yeah, like, pick yeah, the big that's... three. Take the big three, for yeah. sure. Rothman, I think minus 300, actually, I'm for sure I'm taking the big three and that minus 300 and sticking it in a parlay. All right. Fine um, All right, with... With that in mind, let's get to a goofy one. Since we haven't talked about him yet, and it's a cracked, uh, cracked rackets must. Does Nick Kyrgios get suspended at some point down the home stretch? Yes, plus two fifty. No, even odds. I, yeah, yes, I'll, I'll take that. He might do some something really stupid at Labor Cup. It's hard to yeah. Well, I don't know about it. Eh. If it happens, I don't think it's at Laver Cup. I feel like it's somewhere else. But I feel like it would be weird to say no at this point, just given what we've seen from him, right? Like loose cannon, you never know what's going to happen. You got to, you got to go yes on that one. He's going to get suspended for something. He's been fined so much this year. He's going to keep that train rolling. It's the end of the year. He's probably getting tired. He's going to be cranky for sure. Yeah, he's cranky. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think yeah. you got to take right. that one. I would also – yeah, very possible. Um, speaking of – actually, save all Labor Cup-related prop bets for later in the week. We'll do oh, a full Labor Cup that was mm. – all right. Bummer. Yeah, no, save it for the week. That's a Wednesday episode. Oh. Must. Um, all right, my next one Can I give you, you one Again. Labor Cup thing or no? We can tease. We can give them a little taste. 
All right, we'll give them one. So you guys know how the scoring is. You want me to give you a refresher or no? Give us a, give I, I remember. To- give our listeners a yes. refresher. All right, all right. Here, so here we yes. go. Each match wins, so it just depends on day. So if it's on Friday, you get a point. If it's on Saturday, you get two points, three points on Sunday. It's all about the first team to reach 13 points out of that total 24 that are available. If it's tied at 12-all, then there's a fifth match on Sunday, and then that determines the winner. Okay, great. So your total is 24 points <laughs> available. Now, that is if it's 12-12 between Team World and Europe. Do we think that's going to be that even? Probably not. But here's and here's where – well, what? What are you going to say? Day It's day one matches are worth one. Day two are worth two. Day three are worth three. Yep. Okay. Yep, and then you're going – the. Really what I'm looking at here is the available 24 because the 24 is just predicated off of if it's a 12 and 12, which we haven't seen it be that even of a split. I don't know. We, it could be. But given what we know, say if you got to draw a line somewhere, I'm giving you, let's say, 20 and a half points. Are you taking the over or the under? <laughs> For Team World or Europe? No, no, no. Total. 20 and a half points because 24 is oh, total cause... available. Yep. And if they reach their oh, team, oh, so this is about stop. how close. This is about oh. how close you think the competition's going to be. Oh, I'll under, you, under. You think it's under. under? They'll be done. Okay. They'll be done by match one day. Three. What about day three doubles though? <laughs> I don't know. I no, think it's interesting. They, they sweep doubles, but where are they getting a singles win? Uh, hard under. Hard under. Okay. I mean, maybe I should have made the line low. I was trying to figure out where I should draw the line, but yeah, twenty point five. Now that's okay, way too much. That would mean they only they only skip one half. match. You're telling me Kyrgios can't pull out a singles dub day two no. against yeah. one of so, them? Okay, no. Yeah, I'll change it. We'll, we'll no. just go ahead and change it for this conversation. Say that line's now drawn at 18 and a half. You take the over no. or the so that would total be... points. So See, that's one I'm gonna singles say se- win and a few doubles wins. No, it's so possible. 18... So real quick, 18 would mean they play all but two matches. So 18 and a half, by the way, great line setting by you. Perfect match. Um, do I think it'll be – it really depends on the order of operations. If they play doubles first on on Sunday, then Team World's got a shot to make it to the next match. If they don't, then 18 and a half is perfect and you take the under. So pending schedule, I will take the under. Rothman? Give me you the want over. to take the over. I know you do. Yeah. Give, me, give me the over. <laughs> Yeah, I'll say I want the over. <laughs> Not It'd be exciting, either. boys. No, I hope it is. No, that. I hope it is a good competition. But no, that's my only. That's my only Labor Cup one. We'll, we will let the rest uh, be a discussion point for the week for sure. Gruskin, if you've got other ones, you, you by all means, you no, go I, ahead. I, I love it, Rothman. Any final prop bets? I do have one. I mean, so this is a, a next gen American versus Canadian one. We've done this before, but given where we are in the season. Who wins a, a Masters first, an ATP, uh, or excuse me, a Next Gen American or a Next Gen Canadian? Canadian. Didn't Andrescu already win a Premier? Uh, so we're talking uh, we're, men. Uh, we're that's talking not men. a Masters. Yeah, that was just up to you. Um, wow. Canadian. I mean, my answer, I, you know I love Opelka. You know I love it. But yeah, Canadian. Shapovalov and FAA both made semis this year. I don't know. So you, and sure. what about Rayonich? What does Ray? Oh, you said next gen. So. Not next gen. I mean, wasn't Rayonich the original next gen? He was like the OG next gen, and then it just kind of it didn't happen. Yeah, that that uh, that dwindled the touch. So yeah, now we're here. Uh, who ends the year ranked higher, Milos Rayonich or Grigor Dimitrov? 
probably Dimitra, right? I have no idea what's going on with Ronich at the moment. Uh, to be a fly on the walls of either of those. Um, I guess, Rothman, to answer your question, Canada. Yeah. Yes, you got to go Canada on that for sure. Raonic is 24 right now. I mean, no, I think Dimitrov's going to end up because we don't know how healthy Raonic is. We don't know what exactly we're going to see. I think you got to go with Dimitrov. Raonic also has almost almost no points to defend except for Tokyo. Mm. So, Anyways. That's a good point. No, that that is why it's going to be so fun to watch this year on stretch because there are so many good players, so many different storylines. We tried and highlight some of them today. We thought, you know, there are other guys who barely missed the list, Schwartzman, Chilich, team, on and on and on. Uh, You could have talked about any of them because that's what makes the ATP so fun. The parody, week in, week out, you're going to find matches. And if you need to be updated on your daily content, you need your fix of tennis each and every morning, be sure to check out our mini break podcast, our daily podcast. Podcast going Monday through Friday talking about the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. If you want to hear more about these players, check out our Cracked Interviews podcast. We've had a really fun streak of guests recently on the professional side from Steve Johnson, Mitchell Kruger. Uh, fun podcast coming out this week. I got to do with U.S. Open mixed doubles champion, Olympic gold medalist, nine-time slam champion, Bethany Maddox-Sands. Be on the lookout for that. Uh, a ton of great content, as always, and if you've missed any of it, check out our website, Cracked rackets.com for more immediate updates twitter youtube instagram facebook anyone who is watching this on youtube we appreciate you sticking around we will work out the kinks of the technical difficulties by the next one but be ready for this because we're going to try and do this every sunday afternoon at least on the video platform try and have at least one gsp for you guys throughout the week we will be doing a women's version of this either next sunday or later in the week as a gsp so look out for that but we'll start uh we'll go rothman then jamie this time any final thoughts No, no. You got them all out? Yeah, no. You're no longer intrigued? I I just, I I need some some more tennis. I I feel like post-US Open and some of these challengers, I'm I'm happy about them, but I I want a Masters. I need a Masters back in my life. So I'm excited. Jamie? That's fair. My only only last Mm -hmm. thing is that you snubbed me on Chilich. Maybe he's a little boring, but, uh, you know, (laughs) I'm still interested in him. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Wawrinka, Dimitrov, Chilich all came from the same person. I'll leave it for you listeners to guess who. But you with that being me said, some of those don't even <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here. Look, Nish- Nishioka. I, I'll tell you this: Davidovich Fakina came from one. Also, I'm sure you listeners can guess who that was. Um, but with all of that being said, a huge shout out as always to the super producers Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff. Westoff, we love you. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know that by now. Uh, but for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and f- uh, from my co-host, James Foster McDonald and Maxwell LeBauer Rothman, and from our entire teams at both the Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Networks, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, Jamie and Max. What do we tell our listeners? Hey. Hey. Great shot. Great shot. <laughs> I love it. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.